All right, Sam, I challenge you to a game of Connect Four. Go ahead and start. Uh, I don't really like that placement. You try again. Are you, sh are you sure that's what you want to do? Okay. All right, I'll go. Go ahead, keep going. You're not really good at this game, are you? What are you doing that for? To block me? Okay, well, I'll start over here. Why did you do that? So you can win? I don't think you'll win. You're not very good at this game. Did you just win? Oh, okay. Well, do you uh, want to play another game of, of uh, Connect Four where I'm mean? Or do you want to watch a Dude Perfect video? You're supposed to say Dude Perfect video. Dude Perfect. All right, let's watch Dude Perfect. Maybe. We could probably play another game. Push the... Dude, Ber Dude Perfect, if you haven't watched them, Dude Perfect are these guys that I just wish I could be them. They... They like are they're just a bunch of buddies and they play games and they post it on YouTube and I think they're millionaires now because they make videos on YouTube and like the NFL invited them to come and do a, uh, a thing at Atlanta Stadium just before the um, just before the Super Bowl maybe hit the refresh button this is the reason why you know I. I try being creative and engaging, you know. Spacebar? Nope. I uh, hit escape out of the out of that. That's all right. Sam, thank you for playing the game. Everybody give Sam a round of applause. Hey, I heard something. All right. You didn't know it, but Sam, you helped show the entire congregation how the evil one wants to discourage us in living our life with God. Thank you. There, uh, the story of Scripture um, gives us a sense of, of Jesus' victory over sin and death. The whole narrative is of God redeeming and seeking and saving His people. And we can really get on board with that, that we are sinners who are lost, who are saved and redeemed. I have spent a long part of my life wrestling with, how do I walk faithfully with God? And every step of the way, it seems like there's discouragements. Either something going on inside of me or something that's going on in the world and there are so many things that sort of uh, derail my pursuit of God. I remember when I was baptized, uh, a lot of people said, you know, now that you love Jesus and you're seeking after him, the devil's going to do a lot to discourage you. And so I, uh, 
I remember that, and it kind of planted a seed. And I was in third grade, and um, I, this might come as a surprise to you, but in school I like to talk a lot. And uh, my teachers, they always wrote a note that said, good kid talks too much, like every single one of them. Well, there was a day in third grade, and poor Mrs. Eisler had me in there, and I was in like some reading intervention thing, and I was just chatting in the back. And uh, she gave me a uh, detention. And, yeah, I was very naughty. And so uh, we had a long drive, and I had, to, I had the detention slip in my hands. And I was walking down the long driveway, the walk of shame. I had it in my hands, and I go in to Mom, and I put the detention slip on the table, and I said, Mom, Satan gave me a detention today. <laughs> and... Uh, it didn't work, uh, uh, but it's that sort of on, ongoing tension. What is the evil one doing to disrupt our walk with God? And what I see happening in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 and 13 is a sort of revelation of Satan's game plan. How is he going to disrupt our walk with him? If you'll hang with me, we've got we to gotta dig in. And I'll try and make it simple, and we'll check it out. Uh, the Dude Perfect video, if, if it worked, would have been fun, and you would have enjoyed it. But that's all right. It, you can waste your time with it later. Um, but it was to reveal the two different ways that I believe Satan discourages us and distracts us from following Christ. Let's dig into our text. We're in Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, just a quick reading of it. You may have missed it, and that's all right. But this is the Christmas story told in apocalyptic language. It's a story of Mary being in hot pursuit of Herod and the henchmen trying to kill the children. It's this picture. This is the whole sort of Matthew chapter 2, but told from a different perspective that there was one chasing after this child and the reason why i i think i know it's talking about jesus is that this woman will give birth to a child and he will rule all the nations with an iron scepter that's messiah language that's lordship language that he's swept up into the heavens it's talking about the ascension we got the gospels all wrapped up here in one paragraph 
and tells of this red dragon. The red dragon is so large that just the flick of his tail wipes out a third of the stars in the sky. We should be intimidated by this figure. It is massive. It is large. In verse 7, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. What we get is a series of battles and pursuits. The dragon is chasing after Mary. The dragon is chasing after the child. Now the dragon chases after Michael. And one defeat after the next sends him hurling to the earth. And this is what the angels say to them. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has has gone down to you, and he is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's command and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. The foremost thing that we need to get from Revelation chapter 12 is that though this great, mighty, incredible figure with the flick of his tail can knock out a third of the stars is chasing after a woman and her baby and as mighty and powerful as he appears to be he fails in destroying her he fails in destroying the child he fails in destroying uh, the mother and he will fail in destroying and harming michael he's lost And the picture we get is a figure who is the sorest of losers. Satan is an epically sore loser. I want you to walk away remembering that. Now the problem is, is that he is a sore loser. Um, I am a sore loser. I don't know that I'm an epically sore loser, but when I play uh, games with my children... I don't know if you've played the junior version of games, but they're the worst things ever created. 
they eliminate any sort of sense of uh, strategy that you might uh, implement into the game, and it just makes it so the children want to participate with you, and the adults cringe along. Like Candyland, Candyland's the worst game ever created because you know you either get the lollipop or you don't, you know, or whatever the things at the end. But uh, I, I hate that. But I hate losing in them because there's nothing I can do about it. It's just like it's just blind luck. So then it's like, okay, let's play it again so I can win. You know, my ego is pretty fragile. Here's the deal. Satan has lost every step of the way, and then when he is hurled out of heaven, he returns as an epically sore loser, and he knows that his defeat has already happened. That there is nothing that he can do or will do that will result in him being victorious. He can keep attacking, he can keep pursuing, and he will fail every single time. That's the message of Revelation chapter 12. It doesn't mean, though, that he's no longer going to wreak havoc on God's creation. The picture is is that he's been hurled out of heaven, and now what is he doing? But he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And he's going to spend the rest of his life there in uh, uh, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and he went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. He's talking about the church. Those who keep God's command and who hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. If you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and King, and if you declare that you want to follow Him with your life, And if you will hold true to that testimony, you are at a war. And he's going to do everything in his power to discourage you and to distract you from pursuing Christ. In chapter 13, he's going to reveal the strategy. Before we reveal the strategy, I think you guys need another story. This one, I've told you before, uh, to uh, you, many of you, before. Um, it sort of starts like this. Uh, my friends, when they got dogs, they, uh, they all named their dogs after uh, sports athletes that they loved. Their, my friends had a Bob Probert. They called their dog Bob or Probert, you know. Uh, Bob Probert was the enforcer on the Red Wings. He didn't have any front teeth because he just would go and crack heads. Probert wasn't as mean of a dog as Bob Probert was. But uh, there was a Gretzky in my neighborhood. There were all kinds of dogs named after uh, sports athletes. So when we got this beautiful English setter, um, I named my dog Michael Jordan. You know, just like any uh, kid would, you know, that's totally normal, right? And so uh, Michael was a runner. He, uh, he, he loved hunting, and so his uh, that he would love to get outside. Well, we would crack open the door, and Michael would go sprinting. And, and so we would have to go and get Michael, because we lived out in the country, and there was a river, and he would get all muddy and nasty, and sometimes he would chase after deer, and that was problematic. And so we really needed to get him back in. Well, Mom had a daycare, and she'd have six, seven kids, and she'd load them all up in the van, and she would drive around, and she would flap baloney outside of the car and she would be screaming Michael Michael come home my end and I always wondered did the neighbors think that one of the daycare kids got away and uh, that was the 
that was the way to bring him back. He really loved lunch meat, you know. Uh, but uh, we had to do something about the Michael problem. Uh, so we, uh, we got one of those big long lines and he could run and be free in the backyard but not get away. And then we had the collar on in case he tried uh, jetting out the front door uh, and we could buzz him and he would uh, come back. There's an actual point to this story, I promise you. When we think about Satan, it is not, uh, it is not that he roams free and that he can do whatever he wants. He's limited in his power. He's limited in his reach. And the moment that we start getting the sense that he doesn't just get to roam free and wreak havoc wherever he wants, but he's actually restricted. And so we need to have a picture of a sort of chained dog. And yes, he's ferocious. And yes, we need to be cautious. Yes, we need to stand firm. But we also need to know that his reach is limited And so because his reach is limited, he has to go about in strategies where he can have the most influence. It wasn't Satan that tempted me into being a chatterbox in third grade. It was my own self, and I got myself... I recognize it now, guys. I'll admit my failures. It wasn't that he wants to individually make us fall. It's that he's looking to make the... uh, cast the widest net to cause the most problems. And so the way that he's going to cast his net in the ancient world is through the Roman Empire. And that's what Revelation 13 is going to show us. And so let's check it out. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because... He had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? And that's like our first clue there, that it's talking about something other, like it's talking about a real thing. It would have been very common vernacular in language saying, Who is like and what is like this empire, this mighty empire that spans the globe? And the world over, there's no place you could go where the Roman Empire couldn't reach. Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It's opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those, named, uh, all those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into the captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. It says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. 
And so we get a few clues. The ten, uh, the heads and the hills and the crowns, these are signs of power. This is all to point us to, uh, to uh, Rome. We need to continue. In verse 11, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. All right, so we had the first beast would be talking about the empire. Now the second beast that sort of comes out, it exercised all its authority of the first, be- first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So he describes the first beast, that's the Roman Empire, and then he says all of, its, uh, all of the second beast's job is to heap up praise on the other beast. It's all about bringing glory and honor and prestige to the Roman Empire. And it's going to be problematic then for Christians. It says, it ex- uh, verse 12, it exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf, made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven and the earth to fill view of the peop- uh, in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands, on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast or is the number of man, and that number is 666. All right, that's all perfectly clear, right? Yeah, okay. Here's the picture. If it's talking about the Roman Empire, and it's also talking about the sort of people that came out of the empire that carried out the wills and wishes of rulers who sought themselves to be gods. And if you lived a contradictory life where you didn't participate in the economy, if you didn't participate in the, in the world as, uh, and give your allegiance and your worship to the Roman Empire then there would be, um, there would be uh, you would have a hard life. You would be persecuted, you would be hated. And so if we take a step back and remember the game of Connect Four, was I encouraging to Sam or was I being mean? I was intentionally being mean. That's not how it normally goes. I'm slightly worse. Um, And Wendy would probably attest to that. I'm equally a sore loser sometimes. But I was trying to discourage him. And I just just want you to think for a second. Maybe it's a stretch. But every time you play and every time you just carry out the act, I kind of wanted to play Monopoly and say every time you pass go, you know, you did something nice for somebody. But every act was a faithful act of service in the kingdom of God. And every step of the way, he was questioned and discouraged Do you really want to go there? Do you really want to do that? Are you sure that that's what you should do? And what we will find in our life, in our journey, is this constant sort of pressure and tension 
where the whole world is going this way and we stand in opposition. The whole world is willing to give its allegiance and worship to contrary and contradictory rulers when we live as though there is only one ruler who is Jesus Christ. And friends, the challenge of this text is to remind the Christians and remind every generation of people that there is one Lord and there is one King. And what we see is the unholy trinity of Satan, the dragon, the beast, and the second beast, and all of them working in unison to disrupt and discourage faithfulness to Jesus Christ, to steal worship that is only due to Christ alone. And the second thing, the second beast, its job is to entertain. Its job is to deceive. Its job is to trick. And that was the point of what I wanted to do with, uh, uh, with Dude Perfect. That it's so easy to be distracted and that the beast works in two ways. Disrupt and distract. Who's ever felt distracted from seeking Jesus Christ? I, um, I have another illustration, but it would probably go equally well. Uh, I tried doing this at my men's retreat a couple of weeks ago. I tried having my father-in-law call me at the right moment in my talk, and it totally bombed. So I'm trying to be creative. Uh, so just pretend that I, you know, just answered my phone because uh, I don't want to risk, you know, it being completely ridiculous. But here's here it is. Um, I am far more attentive to every beep, buzz, ding, uh, in some case, uh, cricket noise or whatever. The bakers have interesting... Oh, Renee, you knock it off. Yes, how are you? Yeah. But if it buzzes, I wonder what's going on. If there's any sort of thing happening on it, I tune right in. And sometimes I look at my life and I look at my walk and I ask myself this question... Am I attentive to the Spirit of Christ in my daily walk? Is the nudge of the Spirit something I'm listening to or am I ignoring it? And friends, when it comes down to it, and the very end of all of it is, is that Satan is working to disrupt and discourage and Satan's working to distract. And the picture is not of a friendly adversary, but one who is filled with fury and anger, and he knows that his time is short. He says, my time is almost up. And so I'm going to do everything I can to discourage and make you feel like you don't have it in you to love Jesus. That you don't have it in you to smile at your neighbor and say, Jesus loves him to discourage you from these small acts of kindness and love and mercy and forgiveness that says you don't have it in you and you can't do it. Are you sure you want to go there? And don't you know what would happen if you did that? Every step of the way, we will be discouraged. And we'll be broken. And we'll be hurting. We'll be distracted. But friends... Satan may have the power to discourage. And Satan may have the power to distract. But what power he doesn't have is this. 
to destroy the faithful children of God. Because Jesus took all of the pain and all of the suffering and he rose victorious on the third day and he conquered death. Amidst this sort of scary thing that we're in the midst of this battle with this dragon is a couple of words of counsel. John says this requires of us patient endurance. But then he also tells us that we have victory. He says, And they have triumphed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Here's how I picture it in not so much apocalyptic language. The Apostle Paul gives us a sense of what we need to do. And it's a reading from Ephesians 6, and we'll be done. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May we all fearlessly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and King. And the world will do all it can to discourage and distract. But it will not take you out of the hands of God. Let's live fearlessly and faithfully for Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. And we thank you for Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Father, we have all faced distraction and we all have faced discouragement. God, as we look at the pressure around us in a world that calls for our allegiance to so many different gods, so many different idols, so many different comforts, God, you call us away that we would be your faithful children seeking you with our whole hearts. God, we love you and we ask for your help. Give us courage and strength and as we put on your armor, May we trust and know in your salvation.
May we trust and know in the righteousness that we have in your Son, Jesus. May we know of the shield of our faith that will extinguish the lies and the hatred. God, that we would walk faithfully with you. God, let us live a fearless life pursuing you, glorifying you in all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. My simple challenge would be that in a world where we don't face an inordinate amount of persecution is that intuitively I think Satan's end game with us here is to distract us. And so I simply would say that we need to take a moment to disconnect from a world that we might reconnect with God. That we might disconnect with the world, that we might reconnect with God and trust and know that He's there. You know, there is a frightening thing about these things. I just uh, read on Shane Hargrave's Facebook page and I followed the TED Talk that these things provide for us an answer to three fantasies. That we would never have to be alone that we don't, uh, we could, uh, aren't limited in where we currently are, and I forget the third. But the mo- most important thing in my head was that we never have to be alone. And the trouble is, is that if we never have to be alone, will we ever find time to be alone with God? The challenge is, would you disconnect that you might reconnect with Christ? What can you do this week to spend time with your Savior? Let's stand and sing.